as a leader, there was a responsibility around integrity, deep care for other people, how you show up and create space for other people. Uh, I started to really sit with that in high school. And then in college, again, another religious organization, I was able to ground my, what I would say, like activism and community organizing on campus. I was the person like leading the protest lines for everything that was wrong. I was able to ground that in faith, right? Like I was able to explain why this was important to the people around me based on who we said that we were in our faith. Welcome to Everything is Spiritual, a podcast from Soul Care Urban Retreat Center. We're talking with local folks, faith leaders, creatives, thinkers, and community advocates, getting personal about their faith and spirituality and how it shows up in their daily life and work. I'm Kelly Skinner, your host, and I'm sharing these heart-centered conversations to invite you to become more aware that everything is spiritual and to deeply connect with what is most true and alive in your own everyday life. So my guest on today's episode is immersed in the everyday work of inclusion and social justice, so much so she made her career around it. Kim O'Chair is the Director of Inclusion and Talent Development for University Housing at the University of Illinois. And she just started in this newly created position last year after serving more than eight years as a social justice educator working with students living on campus. When you hear more about her upbringing and journey through life, it's a true merging of faith, academics, and justice. Kim's a bright light, a young professional whose experiences inspired scholarship and a practice centered around creating equitable and inclusive spaces for underrepresented and underserved people. So get ready. It's time to hear Kim's insight about how unconditional love, grace, and self-care show up in faith-grounded social justice work and what true community means. So hi, Kim. It's really good to talk with you, and I'm excited about our conversation today. I'm glad to chat with you. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. So I think that we can just kind of dive right in. You and I know each other from my past work with the University of Illinois, and you're in university housing, and you do... You've done a lot of work for them and also work in the community around social justice and leadership and diversity, equity and inclusion. So why don't you just tell me a little bit about your journey to how how you got to where you are now? Sure. It'll sound like I'm going far back, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I am originally from the south suburbs of Chicago, South Holland, Illinois. I am the kid of a preacher. Uh, my father was a volunteer prison chaplain for um, over 30 years. And his cousin, who I call Big Mama, uh, she lived with us and uh, just like a grandma took care of me and raised us. And so many of my values come from the two of them as it relates to justice, uh, organizing and really justice in action. Uh, my father, while I don't, I don't know that he would have 
saw himself or even used the language as being a social justice advocate, uh, really was someone who thought critically about men and women, more specifically Black men and women in the prison system, their access to resources, uh, more specifically support and reentry into community. So growing up, often we had people in and out of our home, uh, very short stays, or over four meal or two or three, um, lots and lots of community building. My grandmother, Big Mama, as she was affectionately called, uh, really helped instill in me the value of creating capacity and, per, and, and reaching back. So this uh, kind of energy around Sankofa, she, I remember we were driving down 94 when I was, I don't know, maybe like 11 or 12. And I remember her looking over to me and saying, I need to tell you something about where we're going. She said, I was diagnosed with HIV um, and I now have AIDS and I have to go to the North side to get my treatment. And so she, I would travel with her uh, she would get there. Uh, I don't. I don't know. You know where these services were, how they came about, but from massages to injections and just any and all care that she needed, she had to travel there for it. Well, what I know now in terms of uh, the overpopulation or the disproportionate number of African Americans uh, who contracted the virus. Uh, and you think about in a metropolitan area like Chicago, and because of gentrification, how folks were like pushed out of um, hubs where resources typically may have been and pushed out, those individuals did not have access to the same resources, either by knowledge, lack of transit, and all of these things. And I literally, over my, um, my lifespan before she passed, saw her advocate and pulled together, and this is a woman who did not have a college degree, pull together resources uh, and start counseling groups and agencies and write grants to get funding to move those resources of what she experienced to be only white gay men on the north side pushed to the south side so that um, black and brown men who were MSM men sleeping with men or women, single moms, whomever who had contracted the virus now had access. I saw her advocate and push for more education in the school systems to ensure that folks knew about this virus, but say sex and alternative education. And it was really powerful uh, to see what that looked like in action. So fast forward, then I am in high school thinking about college and I get to college and I'm trying to think about, you know, what will I study? I eventually, like many folks, through the windy road of what I think I might want to study, find myself at social work. But on that journey, I'm also what I, what I, what had been um, invested in me was this ability to have a really critical eye of of my surroundings to know who is around me, what resources do they have, do not have, what access do they have to those. Uh, and I noticed that, so I attended St. Mary's College of Notre Dame. It is a Catholic women's institution uh, about an hour and 15 minutes away from my home, literally door to door. 
in South Bend, Indiana, Notre Dame, Indiana. Uh, and I noticed very quickly there were very few people who looked like me. I could walk around campus all day and not see another black or brown face whatsoever. I noticed not only was there a lack of representation in terms of race, but even in social class and in the ways in which class kind of show up uh, and don't, it's very complex, right? So uh, the shoes that people wear, and we used to say there was a uniform, you had to have the pearls on, the cardigan around your neck and the ribbon in your hair. And if you didn't have that uniform and the name brand of that uniform, or you didn't drive the right car, uh, it was, it was very clear, right? Who was on work study, like I was in working jobs and all of that. And so um, I started to organize and work with other women of color and folks who identified in the LGBT community or who were not Catholic or Christian, who are Muslim, just folks who saw themselves or experienced otherness on campus uh, to create community. And so that turned into a diverse students leadership conference that still exists to today. I think we're maybe like at 15 years now, um, a multicultural alumni group and graduation ceremony just for folks. And so that was that was like the start of my capacity building, like me seeing justice in action. And it just felt natural for that to continue. And so since college, I've just been putting things in my toolkit that are showing up in my life today as I engage in social justice education here at the University of Illinois. Um, so a lot of my work is grounded in dialogue. I was trained in intergroup dialogue when I studied at University of Michigan for my first master's degree. Uh, I, my work has always been in university housing. I never saw myself in this space, but it makes sense because this is probably one of the most intimate spaces in which community is built. Um, and, and it's an honor and a privilege to work with students as they're starting to learn about difference. Uh, again, in their most intimate space where they lay uh, every day and, and every night uh, to think about the people who they've never had to think about before coming from communities and backgrounds that they're completely unfamiliar with and for them to see uh, an, another way of understanding the world very different than the way that they likely had been socialized before coming to the university. And so now my current work my entire career up until last year has been focused only on students. I'm now looking at staff experiences uh, and equity and inclusion in that capacity. How are we developing talent in the organization? How are we retaining diverse talent? How are we creating pipelines for underrepresented folks to be in leadership roles uh, and diversify the leadership ranks of an organization? Uh, so that's, really, really exciting work for me right now and being able just to see the other side of things uh, and, and be able to really influence and impact change. Mm -hmm. So that the end result, our residents, our students, they are experiencing the kind of inclusive and equitable um, environment we're trying to create because we have leaders who have been trained and are intentional about curating those spaces. That's an incredible journey. And thank you for sharing that with me. Uh, and the, the more complete story of where it all originated for you. So you talked a little bit about your dad working in prison ministry, uh, your cousin and your grandmother 
talk a little bit about where faith comes in with all of that. How does that play in? Sure. So I grew up Baptist. I'm a preacher's kid. So um, every Sunday in church, uh, Bible studies on Fridays, when we got in trouble, we wrote Bible verses over and over (laughs) and over. When we were old enough, my dad made us teach Sunday school at our church. I mean, you name it. So like the entire, my socialization into my Christian faith was complete in in every way. In my neighborhood community, almost everyone on my block, they were Christian and Baptist, like the person at the end of the street who was one of my dad's really great friends. They did prison ministry together. My faith community was one when I spoke about my big mama was the church that really helped to develop and grow her faith. Um, And I appreciated the complexity of her faith. I mean, I think she's where I learned that there, um, that faith can be dynamic Mm. and that there is life and spirituality beyond religion. Uh, So she would curse and pray for you in the same breath. Uh, She would, (laughs) um, she embraced everything that was different. So like the conflict often between church and premarital sex, LGBT, you name it, like all of the hot button areas, she like threw those out of the window. And her sense of love through scripture was to embrace everybody, absolutely everybody. I remember most of the scoldings that we, my siblings and I would ever get were because we didn't treat someone fairly or demonstrate love and create peace with them. Uh, Like if I were, if I, I remember one time I was not nice to the neighbor and my grandmother, like she got after me. She's like, we don't treat people that way. We, we do not engage people that way just because they're different. And, and so that's where I started to really create an understanding of faith and how that was lived out and maybe not necessarily justice quite yet, but understanding we're different in the complexity of how faith can be lived out. And I've really appreciated being able to attend religious institutions for school, so both high school and undergraduate school, because it gave me space to reflect and process my faith. Uh, So I participated in something called Kairos, God's Time. uh, And it was like a, I don't know, now that I'm thinking about it, it was probably like a long weekend, a Thursday to Sunday or something, where we were locked into another side of the school. And we just sat and meditated on our faith who are we? What would we do with that faith? How would we live it out? Um, reflecting on our stories and our narratives. Uh, and it just created an understanding in me, uh, or it had helped me to really understand who I thought I might want to be in terms mm-hmm. of my faith. Uh, mm-hmm. and so what my leadership would look like in terms of my faith. And that was one of the first times I started to put together that as a leader in, in my mind at that time, it was always positional leadership. But as a leader, 
there was a responsibility around integrity, deep care for other people, how you show up and create space for other people. Uh, I started to really sit with that in high school. And then in college, again, another religious organization, I was able to ground my, what I would say, like activism and community organizing on campus. I was the person like leading the protest lines for everything that was wrong. I was able to ground that in faith, right? Like I was able to explain why this was important to the people around me based on who we said that we were in our faith. I also appreciated that in college, you have to take a world religions class. And I remember that was the first time I started to think, is this a white man's religion? Like, is, was this a tool to colonize? How, how, like, really kind of messed me up. And I had to think through, do I still want to believe this? Is this something that I want to hold as my own? And so I had to do some unlearning and processing and, that's where my spiritual journey began. And it was about kind of releasing this understanding that in some of the pieces that I shared with you earlier, like, oh, we went to church every Sunday and Bible study. Those felt like very religious ways to practice the faith, which I completely understand and appreciate even to today and still engage in many religious acts because I feel like that helps to continue to, to remind me of my walk with the Lord. But my spiritual journey, it was this opportunity to commune and to fellowship with the Holy Spirit to get answers that I had not gotten before. And for me to resolve in self why I believe what I believe. And so pull the two things together around social justice education. I have come to understand that as people say, well, what is your ministry? What is your calling, your vocation? I believe God called me to this work. Mm -hmm. It is something that I am not just passionate about, but I believe that God puts talents and gifts in us that are innately created to move you in a particular direction to affect change and, and whatever that change might be. And I think that this is, I believe that this is what I've been purposed to do. And I tell people often, if I didn't get paid a whole lot of money, if I, you know, it, whatever, whatever the things that would not be that would like, you know, it admonished me or make me feel good about doing it, I would still do it because I believe that God has called me to do it. Like that has been something like there there is a way that I I become attached to causes in a way that like it deeply pains me if I cannot affect change in that area. And so it and it took a while for me to realize that is a, a yearning, that is an interest that God has put on the inside of me. For me to continue to engage and to think, oh, it's not just race, but let me look at social class. Oh, environmental justice is just as important. Oh, let me also consider sexual identity. Like every single area when I think about justice is, it moves me to my core. Mm -hmm. uh, and I feel like I have a personal responsibility, a spiritual responsibility to respond to that call. Mm -hmm. I love how you, when you were speaking about kind of teasing out that there's religion, which is the formal practice of our spirituality with a certain set of beliefs and practices and, and standards and ways of being. And then there's that there's the spirituality, which is the 
inner work. It's the, the quiet voice. It's the knowing your fullness, knowing your authenticity and how the divine is guiding you and seeing the divine in other people. And I think that must be a gift that you have in that you can connect with the divine in other people and know that they're deserving of everything in their fullness of of being human it's really beautiful but i really appreciate how you were able to tease a little bit of that out and for some people there's a lot of overlap i think but for others i think there is a, a strong kind of religion is in one place and spirituality is in another place and i think there's people who have been hurt and maybe even marginalized by religion. You were talking a little bit about, you know, is religion a colonizing force? Is it an oppressive entity sometimes? And so what, for you, were there some moments in your life, you talked about a little bit, but were there some other moments in your life that you had to face some of that pain or face some of that things that were happening with institutional religion and work through some of those doubts and questions that that caused? Absolutely. I will say this, as I moved through the process of trying to reconcile my faith or my reconcile what I was experiencing religion to be and how it was being performed by individuals and what I knew I believed, uh, I had to rely on my experience of blessings. And, and, and so often my mind goes back to everything tangible. That's what helps to ground me. And so I remember when I was in high school, my parents um, something happened. We had lots of taxes owed back, taxes owed on our home. They were literally about to put us out of our home and we needed like, I don't know, $25,000 cash to be able to stay in our home. We got $25,000 cash in one month. And wow. did, that was, which now as a parent, and I've often thought about this, those are the moments where faith is realized and actualized that helps to cement a belief in like for me there is a higher power i don't know how something like that would have happened otherwise we couldn't go get a loan for it right like so it i mean we had a family business and so we had to pray really hard to make sure we could get that business so for me there are moments like that or when i was in college and about to graduate ready to go to graduate school was really nervous about getting to graduate school, but then I was even more nervous about being able to pay for it. And I remember that I was at my built placement, I'm working and I was in prayer and worship and I, but the Holy Spirit said, but you're still not trusting me. I need you to release, I need you to release, like you're, you're going through this religious motion of like pray, worship, pray, worship, pray to me, but I need you to release the anxiety and trust that I'm going to do it. And in that moment, uh, when the Holy Spirit said that to me, I said, okay, Lord, I give it to you. I trust you. I I'm releasing it and I'm letting it go. And I promise you, 
within five minutes, I got a call from Michigan. They said, we haven't done anything like this before, but we're creating this assistantship and we'd like to offer you a full ride. I'm literally, I mean, there are those like God moments where you can't make that stuff up that when I was processing my faith and trying to figure out, is this what I believe? Is there something else for me to believe that it just made sense that this is what I believe? There is a very painful way that this faith has come about or it has been practiced. And the way I often explain it is that man has perverted what it, in the language that you've been using, what can be so divine and, and what the divine is for individuals, you know? the religion or the faith practice, if you will, the spiritual practice, but people really kind of messed it up for us, unfortunately. And so there have been moments where I've had family members that have been very discouraging. So I identify on the LGBT spectrum. And when I came out to my parents, I remember my father slapped me in the face and said, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. And that was not just physically painful and hurtful, but it showed me very quickly what was acceptable and not acceptable in our household. It presented a physical representation of what could happen to me if I decided that I wanted to live fully in my truth in that way, in that home, right? Like, so this was not just what I heard in Sunday school or during a sermon at church that it was wrong, et cetera, but that there there were actions associated with there were there were consequences that were associated with just being. And and I don't know that I ever reconciled that particular experience and what that meant between my father and I. I think if anything, I've just chalked it up to ignorance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I didn't think that he loved me any differently, maybe less. I don't know. I I don't know that we even broached the topic again. I just knew who I would and would not talk to about it. And similar kind of themes around being in community with other folks who identify on the spectrum of being LGBT in college, at a Catholic institution, in high school, even at a Catholic Uh, school, even at a public school, like all of the things, like very painful experiences and to be black and brown, right? Like mm-hmm. for to, to experience racism from people who say that they believe in the Lord and have a core value of love, respect, peace. It just would blow my mind. Mm-hmm. I've been sad at, I've been told to go back to where I've come from. Like, the, again, these tangible examples and physical representations of everything that does not represent Christ and the love. And I think if anything, it has just driven me even more to lean into what I believe God has called me into doing. It's been, I've gone through changes and many motions, but I finally have, I've arrived at a place where I can offer grace. Mm. And so I have appreciated people who've shown me grace in moments where I did not understand people from who have different life experiences that have been different from mine. Uh, And so now I feel like it's my responsibility to also extend that grace and create 
spacing capacity that kind of spoke to before, but I feel like grounds my social justice practice is dialogue to facilitate dialogue to help in that understanding process. So folks can really kind of strip away all the the late top layer stuff, the, the practice when we think about religion, but tell me why you believe what you believe, right? And so maybe you believe what you believe because somebody slapped you and told you that that's probably what you should not be. Mm-hmm. And so like, let's unpack why they believe that also. Mm-hmm. And does that still have to be a truth that you hold so tightly and dearly if now we can kind of separate violence mm-hmm. from it, if we can separate the pain from it, if we can separate the shame and the grief and, and everything else that kind of gets mapped onto that mm-hmm. and understand that God does not represent those things. Mm-hmm. And you can be a whole person and you can be loved and and experience the fullness of humanity from one person to the next if we create a little bit more capacity for grace and listening and all that I feel like dialogue could really offer you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so much of what you said resonates with me so deeply. And I keep coming back to, I, I have these wonderful conversations with people and love is one of those words that gets tossed around in the religious community and the spiritual community. And I'm really sensing that we don't have a shared definition of what love is. And so when I think you you hit the nail on the head in that your people's definition of love gets clouded based on those lived experiences and all of those things that you talked about being mapped on top of it. And they don't, maybe they've never even seen what true unconditional love is. And so, yeah, it's easy to say, love your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. But I don't know that people even really give a whole lot of thought to what that truly means and what what you were saying what's the why behind it are you just saying it because you're quoting a bible verse or because it's something that you're you grew up but you don't really know what that means and it may take a lifetime to really truly know what it means yeah i think i came to know what unconditional love should look like and could be when I married my partner. So we'd been together maybe four or five years. And I remember the way that insecurity bubbles up can be really ugly. And I'd be fighting myself physically with him though, right? So, (laughs) you know, in all of the ways that any kind of romantic or platonic relationship (laughs) that might show up, you're insecure, you're like, you're really, it's like this outward experience of what's going on internally. And I remember at one moment, he said to me, he said, I need, he like literally sat me down. He said, I need you to understand. I think that you are perfect just the way you are. And that just broke something on the inside of me. He said, I don't think ill of you. You continue to think that I do because, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed of things that I do. And I assume that He's been ashamed and he's like, I'm not. And the way that he showed me grace in that moment, like that was a demonstration of unconditional love. And I continue to see that his behavior doesn't change because my behavior changes. 
he still treats me with respect and honor. He still uh, provides and does for me, even when he may not feel like it, or in my mind, when I've not shown up in the most loving and appropriate ways. Like love is when you continue to show up in the integrity of love is to continue to show up in a way that God has called you to, even when you don't want to. Even when someone has wronged you, even when you don't feel like it, all of the buts and the evens and the et cetera, all of that is when you can continue to push through and show up in the integrity of what God has said love to be. And when I experienced that with him, I mean, and it continues to blow my mind. I'm like, not that I can do no wrong, but I mean, <laughs> it's just, I'm like, is this what love is really supposed to be like? every day kind of like really showing up fully and then creating space for me to be authentically a hot mess and like (laughs) encouraging me to continue to be my best. And so I have, I've grown so much and now I take that into my relationship with family members where I've had strained relationships into relationships that I've had with colleagues at work. And, and I see the muckiness of what life may have presented to them and how they may show up very cold or closed off and and just every even in my my sister friend I call them sister friends my sister (laughs) friend relationships I've learned how to love even more deeply and move out of what I have believed for the longest time I thought love to be growing up was very transactional if you do x then I'll do y and if you don't do that, then I won't do this. And I'm, I'm, I continue to have to peel the layers back from that because it's, you know, when you, when that's what you know, and that's how you've been socialized, it's so rooted and ingrained. And I'm like, love is not supposed to be transactional. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's how I've experienced loving myself. Mm-hmm. And I can't love myself in that way either if I'm going to pour that love out to other people. And so even in dialogue, it's really important to consider when you're sitting with someone else's truth, having to hold it and not respond to the person, Mm -hmm. but respond to the experience and the value, the perspective that is being shared. Mm Because transactionally, like what we're taught, it's a tit for tat. So if what your truth is feels like it is attacking me as a person to my core, then we've been trained to attack back mm-hmm. at that person. But really, the core of really great dialogue is to sit with that truth, unpack it, understand it, and then respond to that and not the person. Yes. But we're working through the person to get to that thing. Yes. And when you're in really good dialogue, when we have time for it, when we can invest in it, <sighs> um, we can really grow. We can That's where we can experience the integrity of love and really kind of show up. And, and for me, that's a, those are God moments. When you yes. see the light bulbs going off, for me, that's when I experience the Holy Spirit. I'm like, Lord, this could not have happened with this group of people in any other way mm-hmm. if it were not for something intangible. To, mm-hmm. to have occurred in this space and that continues to remind me like oh this lord you're real mm-hmm. and my partner i feel you to be real and at work i feel you to be real 
when things that I have asked you for that feel absolutely incredibly impossible, I know you to be real. And I have to, it, just like I did however many years ago, I have to remind myself why I wanted to believe what I believe, even though the faith felt very mucky for me. I have to continue to do that on a daily basis even now. Like, okay, Lord, I put you back on the throne of my heart. Yep, I still believe. Oh, I believe again over and over and over. Mm-hmm. But like that, any relationship even in our, in our physical spaces, um, when we tell people we love them, like our, my grandmother used to say, um, you know, love is an action word and show <laughs> me what you, and show me how you love me. When is the last time you showed me that you love me? And if that was just a moment ago, then I know when I'm experiencing that love. And so um, if that's in the physical with a person, but also I feel like in relationship with the Lord, it's a conversation every mm-hmm. moment. Um, to be reminded of the love that I need inwardly to show outwardly. Mm. Wow. That was beautiful. I kept wanting to say that that's a mic drop moment. So many of them. (laughs) So you're talking about pouring out into other people and the work that it takes to do that. And I think one of those core issues of working in social justice, in working to see the heart of people, in working to overcome some of those, the things that we've been socialized to do, the work, the energy, it takes a toll. And there's a lot of fatigue that is associated with this work. And so what are some of your spiritual and self-care tools that you use to build resilience, to take care of your tender heart so that you can continue to pour out into others? Oh, so many things. I will say like my favorite thing to do is to be in community with people who remind me of who I say I desire to be. Hmm. That is self-care for me. So um, I have a couple like girlfriend groups. Uh, where we have exchanges at least once a month and with some of my circles almost every other day where we're literally speaking life back into one another. And I would value that above a mani petty massage any day because Mm -hmm. that is like massaging my heart, my spirit, my mind. The moments where I have so much self-doubt, I'm reminded of how brilliant I am. I'm reminded of um, God's word as it relates to my purpose. I'm reminded that I claimed what I wanted and it's manifesting, uh, or maybe it hasn't manifested yet, uh, but it's on the horizon and for me to stay the course. uh, So that is self-care. And I was just telling uh, a group of students yesterday is they were like, what do we need? What kind of tools would you recommend? I'm like, get you a good group of people who will be honest with you, who are grounded in similar values um, and who will, I mean, love on you, like saturate you with love. Because for me, again, like the love of God comes through people. That's, that's how you, that, at least for me, like that's how I experience it. Um, I also really enjoy walking 
And I, I mean, if there is a close second to having like my sister friend group, it is <laughs> feeling the sun on my skin. I just, even thinking about it makes me emotional because I feel like that is God touching me just to say, I'm here with you. I love you. I can comfort you physically, even if it's not through a person. And so I, I love when the wind blows the right way. Mm. I love the smell of crisp air. I mean, everything about being in nature just really, it feels incredible. Um, which the irony of that is growing up, I thought nature and being outside <laughs> was for white folks. And um, I was like, why is white folks always outside, like running around and like playing in the dirt? Like, how soon did I forget that as a child, that's literally what I did. And somehow I, I like detached myself from that. And, you know, and we could, that's a whole nother conversation. Oh gosh, the way yeah. Like when you move into this pre-adulthood and adulthood, somehow we have been filled with these messages, especially when you kind of put the lens on race and gender of what you should and should not be doing. Right. But a part of my spiritual journey when I was still in Michigan and right before I transitioned here to Illinois was really like, I mean, peeling away all the layers. So fasting was also an, a really excellent tool for me mm-hmm. to sit with myself and, because there are so many distractions. And so for me, self-care is about investing time to think about and to physically manifest that which you say you want. So for me, several years ago, when I I would say I did my first real fast, um, like eliminating media, like social media. So that's why I have very little social media. I mean, it started then. I mm-hmm. took off everything and I stopped eating certain things, like the things that just like clutter our, our physical beings and our minds. And it gave me space and time to think about it. It's a really have an impartation from the Holy Spirit. Like, Lord, I'm going to clear away everything because I know that much of my depression is fed by food because when I was sad, angry, lonely when I was a kid, I went to ice cream, I went to, like, Mm -hmm. those were my outlets. And so I would say for any person fasting from the thing that you think you escape to, um, to keep you from kind of sitting in, what you should be moving through or growing in mm-hmm. and that self-care often I feel like self-care is described as like this escape from things but for me self-care is leaning into it a little bit more mm-hmm. um, and so in my and as I said before it's my goal is to demonstrate more grace or to create peace in my work around social justice and that means I have to I have to like cultivate that and in cultivating that requires that I strip some stuff away and I have to sit in silence. Like I have mm-hmm. to experience peace to give peace. Um, so I would say that those are three of the things that I've done and that I do. So really being in nature, sitting in incredible intentional community with others um, and fasting, praying, worship, um, just kind of taking myself away from the things that I normally escape to that, feel very fleshy or surface level and, and don't allow me to kind of sit in what I'm trying to create. Mm-hmm. So you're pretty much emptying the box out so it can be filled up with something else. Yes, absolutely. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm. Those are all three great practices. And I haven't heard very many people talking about that practice of being in intentional community and letting the people who know and love you hold that mirror up to you and show you the greatness that is within you. And that's so powerful. So thank you for sharing that. That's, that's incredible. It's interesting that you said that some of the students or other people that you were talking about self care to, you suggested that and I think people are starving for authentic relationships. So just saying go out and find you some friends. That's a whole different journey, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you when you do that, you reevaluate your friendships. Also, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, speaking to college students, you start to kind of figure out, um, I was talking to my husband and um, he was talking about that he, he called them friends, but the behaviors that he was sharing about them, I'm like, these were your friends? They, they did this? That, right. that doesn't sound, those don't sound like folks who share the same values that of the person that I know. He said, well, maybe they weren't friends. Maybe they were more like colleagues. And I, and I think that there, there are these created communities that we're in. And sometimes we call people friends that probably don't, should not have the title of friend. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe however you define a friend, but people who share the same values, who can, I mean, iron sharpens iron, who can really move, help move you into a space that you see yourself being in. I think that often college may be one of those, and maybe high school as well. And in my mind, I'm th- I use education as a marker because mm-hmm. educa- yeah. education is really kind of core to um, my value system, those are opportunities to start developing those really intentional relationships, defining your boundaries, defining what you want in a relationship. I think the earlier we can define what healthy relationships look like, uh, how how much more fruitful would life be if we had people around us all the time just pouring life back into us and then we're pouring life back into them? How much, you know, like how much more could we manifest you know, how much more would my, my mission have been elevated because I'm around people who want to see that come to fruition and they pour into that. I remember meeting you and I instantly, <laughs> I, which again, for me, these are God moments when you can, when you engage with someone and I'm like, I like your spirit. There's just something about you. We don't have to speak very much, but the connection that I feel to you, um, there is a light there's an energy, there's a peace, there's a comfort. And if, if I get all that energy and we just say hello to each other, <laughs> my goodness, what could I get if we were able to actually sit and connect? Right, right. And, and I know for me, I didn't have some of those experiences early in my life. And it took me until midlife to really define and not live into the shoulds and the expectations and covering up the greatness within um, and dimming the light inside because I was seeking love and approval and 
thought that there was a right way to do it. And it took, it took quite some, it took me until midlife. Um, so you're very fortunate to be able to have done that in high school and in college. And, and for me, some of the seeds and roots were there, but it took me almost going through midlife crisis to be able to excavate all of that. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are in the same, same situation. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to provide soul care was to provide a space where people could be connecting with people of similar values and find a place where they could start asking questions and start revealing their authentic selves and grappling with some of those questions where, you know, there's things that aren't in alignment uh, with what I believe in and, and how I'm acting. And I'm not doing the things that really serve me and serve serve God or serve the divine or, or what I'm being called to do. So um, that's part of the reason why soul care is here for people to start doing that work and maybe finding their community and building those relationships. So, yeah, it's been an amazing conversation. Um, and I have two kind of last questions for you. So where do you see the divine as being most alive for you right now in this moment? In this very moment, the connection that you and I are making. I appreciate even the way that you help to uh, reframe or to uh, elevate what I've said. You package it in such a poetic way. I, earlier, I think you described it like, you're like unboxing. I'm like, yeah, that what you said. Um, so when I, my experience of the divine is it's like a, a shifting or a lightness. And I think of a growing, like a, a flourishing flower um, where something that is uh, budding and growing can continue to expand and move. And for me, physical movement and word movement um, really speaks to me. And I can, I can feel that movement right now. I can feel movement in my, in my physical being, in my, my mental, emotional uh, being in this moment, I feel a flourishing because of the conversation that I've had with you right now. In my day, I felt that flourishing uh, when I made my daughter laugh. Just the face, she's six months, so everything just makes her laugh now. But the toothless <laughs> face that she creates in her face, in the, I mean, that like deep, laugh mm -hmm. that I feel like as adults we don't often get like can you remember the last time I mean you just like had a clincher laugh uh -huh. over laugh nothing able to, <laughs> over, over nothing nothing, <laughs> nothing at all is that not the divine when you can just like sit in, I mean that to me is joy mm -hmm. um you know my intellect expanding when I was at work today and I mean I got a that excitement that you get to, to learn and to be and to generatively create with with the people around you mm -hmm. um, the divine has literally been in my in, in my entire day and and often um when i'm discouraged when i'm overwhelmed when i'm fatigued and exhausted um i have to just sit and reflect on my day and think about 
Lord, where were you? And mm-hmm. why wasn't I more present to see you and experience you in those moments? Um, and if I couldn't see you in those moments, and I'm so frustrated, I don't even want to try to think about where you were in those moments. You're right here with me right now as I talk to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my prayers every day is make me aware of where you're showing up. So, yeah. And it is beautiful when you start looking that you can find the divine um, in every occurrence. Um, My spiritual director was telling me about how she was with somebody and they were making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and saw the divine in in that. And I thought that was so beautiful. So I always ask everybody that I have conversations with, because I just am delighted about learning about people's spiritual practices, but what's your favorite or most meaningful spiritual practice right now? So I've learned that having a routine with your child is really important, and I am not a routine person whatsoever, but I've made a part of our evening routine after I've like changed her into her little PJs and we've had our last seating and we're rocking. It has to be the divine. It has to be God. But these songs, these hymns that Mm. we sang in my church when I was a little kid that I've not, I've not sang in years, the words come back to me and I'm just singing and rocking, singing Mm. and rocking and not just, is so powerful because I think about hopefully maybe years from now, she would have never sat in Christ Revealed Baptist Church, the storefront at 7544 <laughs> South Hostage, where I got all of my energy. She'll never have that experience, but maybe she'll have a piece of that through me mm. because we're sitting in community together. And as my therapist says, he's like, be present. I'm so future focused. He's like, just be present. Mm-hmm. And so my presence in that moment is just to sing and sing and sing mm-hmm. and remind myself that God created this entire moment. He created her. He created me. And he created this relationship that's forming. Mm. But that's a beautiful note to end on. And uh, I'll be thinking about you both rocking in the chair, singing those hymns. That's a beautiful image, so thank you. It's just been a delight to talk with you, Kim. Uh, Is there, I know you don't have a huge social media presence. Uh, Is there anything kind of that you would wanna share or um, connect just in general or have people connect to you? People want to connect with me. They can connect with me on LinkedIn. I love sharing ideas in that space. That's probably the space that I am consistently in. That sounds good. And we'll make sure to add that in. And thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your insight and for your authentic self. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Everything is Spiritual and taking time to nourish your soul. Tune in each week for a little community and a lot of conversation, or subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode. 
For more resources around spiritual exploration, restoration, and transformation, be sure to sign up on our mailing list at experiencesoulcare.com. Visit our website for information on retreats, workshops, and services from our partners. Or better yet, come visit our welcoming space in Urbana to say hi and get a steaming cup of tea. Soul Care Urban Retreat Center is a warm, welcoming, and accessible place for you to refresh, renew, and restore your mind, body, heart, and soul. We set a great big table, and everyone is welcome. Until next week, be well.